Oh, hello, El Paso. Um, so I'm from El Paso, born and raised, um, and I... Uh, you know, deep in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with the Mexican girl, and then we left. And we moved to San Antonio in 2006, and so this is a bit of a homecoming for me, so thank you for the welcome. It's so great to see your faces, and I'll tell you this, la Biblia es la verdad, leela, right? Um, I haven't seen that in... 10, 12 years, and so my hotel room that Texas Baptist got for me faces not only the Chihuahua Stadium, which was not around when I was here, but I see La Biblia es la verdad leela. How encouraging and refreshing that is, and so I've been thinking about that since I've been here since Thursday, and this is just a word that I have for you before. This is not, this is free. This is not even where we're going yet. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us. Uh, The professionals have come before me to speak brilliantly in their context and in their field of study and their expertise. And it's been encouraging and it's freaked me out and yet still encouraged me. And so I hope the same is true for you. But would we stand on and be united in that nothing can, will, or ever separate us from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ, our Savior? Speaking of my abuelita, my grandma still lives here in El Paso, and she's 95 years old. She's in an assisted living now, and so I came up early so I could spend some time with her, and it was just an incredible time with my, I call her Golden Grams. She's always been my golden grams. And out of all my, uh, my, with my brother and all my cousins, I'm the favorite and I am not ashamed to say it. And so I got to spend a couple hours with my grandma. And I remember vividly, um, my grandma uh, had a Volkswagen Golf. I thought it was the coolest car ever when I was a kid. And I got into her Volkswagen Golf and we went to uh, Walmart, the Walmart there at Sil Vista. I was probably about 10 years old, and as we pulled into the parking lot, she said, Mijo, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I told her, the first thing that came to my mind, I said, Grandma, oh, I want to be in the Air Force, and I want to learn how to fly jets, and I want to serve my country by serving in the Air Force. And I could see tears welling up in her eyes. And it was in that moment that I said, Grandma, Grandma, no, don't, don't cry, don't cry, Grandma, don't worry. I'm probably just going to be a pastor. And there's nothing scary about being a pastor, and they only work one day a week. What I didn't know as a 10-year-old, that it's pretty scary to be in ministry. It's pretty scary to be in serving in the armed forces, but um, there's something something wrong with you if you want to be a pastor or a ministry leader, a volunteer, someone where God's cut your heart to the point where you've wanted to share your story and live your story so that others may see God's glory in you. And at times it's scary. And so today I do, I want to speak to our hearts, knowing that at times it can be scary This past August, I turned 40 years old, and it's been just a whirlwind of emotions. Um, My 30s were fantastic. Uh, The end of my 30s were uh, even more brilliant because I became a senior pastor of a church in a community that I truly love and feel that it's no accident that God has placed me there as we got to be reminded of that yesterday, that it is no accident where God has placed you. Into my 30s, 2019, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer just when I thought life was getting good. Year after that, pandemic, and just when I think I've got it all figured out, nothing has figured out. They also say that when your 40s start, you're um, ushered into this uh, midlife crisis, or at least you should have some sort of midlife crisis.
I vowed that my midlife crisis wasn't going to be something that I don't get to choose, but that rather I would choose my midlife crisis. And that for the next 10 years of my life, starting in my 40s and beyond, that I would choose to this, to be more intentional and encouraging, advocating for holistic health within pastors and their families and the communities that they serve. I came to that because I made a list of the men and women who were intentionally and brilliantly poured into my life from the moment I was in the fourth grade. And I am significantly sharing that moment because when I was in the fourth grade, my parents were invited to a house Bible study for dinner and Bible study. And it was there in that home they accepted Christ and the rest of my life was changed. But from fourth grade on to this point, and I I just want to say and give some names, and maybe you know some of these names, because these are men and women who were intentional pouring life in Jesus into me. Mary Mueller, Sally McWaters, Miss Doris, John and Jolene Willoughby, Greg and Jeannie Hill, James and Becky Robertson, Randy Vore, Mike Schubert, Happy and Aaron Peterson, Rick and Lily Mendoza, and Pastor Lopez, and I know both of you are here today. It was you and those individuals, along with my parents, who not only told me about Jesus, but showed me Jesus. And it's why I stand here today. And the reason why I want to list those names is because your name is significant for the people that are watching and listening to you. And so would you lean in, knowing that tomorrow each and every one of us will be on our church campus within our community that we've been called to. And so would you walk in, unlock those doors and open them, knowing that the people that are coming to see you tomorrow, that you have the opportunity, that we have the opportunities to be significantly intentional about loving and living Jesus to them. And you have what it takes. We have what it takes. If I have anything for the future church is that we would be energetic and see a sense of urgency to be intentional for the next 10 years. And hear this. For our husbands, our wives, our daughters, our sons, our parents, our grandparents, our family, our churches, our communities, and fellow pastors and church leaders. I have the opportunity to not only be a pastor in San Antonio, Texas, but um, probably be for about eight years now, I've been volunteering my time as chaplain for our local fire department and police department. We have what's called a critical incident stress debriefing team. So any type of critical incident that happens in and around San Antonio, we get dispatched out to sit with individuals face-to-face to to, um, hear their story as to what happened and minister to them. I call it minister to them, but not all of them are believers, but it's absolutely ministry. As we sit and listen and then impart words of encouragement. It was um, a few years ago that um, I was in a local drive-thru of one of my favorite restaurants in San Antonio getting breakfast tacos. We call them tacos in San Antonio. I remember when I first moved from El Paso to San Antonio and uh, the first week I was there, I was gonna have um, uh, a morning meeting and uh, the guy that was hosting the meeting said, hey, I want you to be here uh, seven o'clock. I'll have coffee and tacos. In El Paso, we eat burritos in the morning. I've never had a taco, like a taco shell, but I'll go with it, like whatever. They call them tacos in San Antonio. And so I was in my drive-thru of one of my favorite taco places. And it was one of the associate chiefs. Um, I see him pull up across the street in the truck and he parks the truck and he gets out of the truck and he starts walking up and down the street. And I'm there in line, just watching. He's like pacing up and down, pacing up and down, pacing up and down. And then then, uh, Chief um, walks into the middle of the street and he's just kind of doing this. He looks completely lost. So instead of getting out of the taco line, I order my tacos and I park just to watch. And then I took a photo of him because I wanted to text the whole group later with all the other chiefs and firefighters saying, look at Chief, he's lost. 
And again, he's just looking around, looking around. And then he goes to his truck. And he comes out of the truck with some shears. This guy is crazy. And he goes over to a bush and he starts trimming the bush. You see, what happened was there was a fire hydrant there and somebody planted a bush and it overgrew and you couldn't see the fire hydrant anymore. And uh, it's a job of the firefighters to go and make sure that they know where the fire hydrants are at so that if there's a fire, they know where the source of a life-saving water would be, right? So he clears up the bush. And again, I'm just watching this. I'm not even like trying to help him out or anything. So he clears it out and then he goes back into the truck. He puts the the shears back and then he comes out with something in his hand that I couldn't really tell what it was. And he walks to the middle of the street and he bends down and he puts what's a blue reflector. Steps on it, gets back in the truck and leaves. I didn't go home. I went straight to the station to ask him what, what just happened. And so it turns out that as the guys were going around, uh, they couldn't find this one hydrant. He knew it was there, didn't know what happened. Turns out, overgrown, cleared it. And I said, well, what, what did you put in the middle of the street? Why a blue reflector? Well, maybe you know this. I didn't know it at the time. And you'll see this now forever because I see them everywhere, whether it's in San Antonio, El Paso. But if you ever are driving down the street and you see a fire hydrant, look to the middle of the street and there should be a blue reflector or some sort of reflector signaling that if a fire truck comes to the scene of a fire and they are such at a high vantage point that if they need to know where their fire hydrant, they can look in the middle of the road and they see the blue reflector knowing that on the right or the left of it, the source of water is there. Especially at night and in some sort of foggy situation. You need a blue reflector. It's extremely important. We need blue reflectors to point to our source of living water. That's what conferences like this does. A blue reflector from all of our speakers, from all of the texts that we've read and heard, pointing to the source of life that is living water, that is Jesus. And I won't take for granted the fact that me and you as ministry leaders need to be reminded over and over and over again as much as we try to remind those that listen to us on a weekend and weekend out basis that we need to be pointed to our source of life. And so turn with me to Mark chapter two if you have a Bible with you. If not, you could just listen in. And as you're turning to Mark chapter two, let me make this statement. Put your notes down and get on the mat. Put your notes down and get on the mat. Mark chapter two says this. Starting in verse one, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. You may know this story, pastor, ministry leader. But would we pretend for just a brief moment that this is the first time that we're hearing it? Since they could not get him to Jesus, these friends knew, know, realized that their friend was lame. I want you to do that. Look to the person next to you and just say, you're lame. Yeah, it's awkward. Okay, look to the person to the other side and say, no, you're lame. They knew that their friend had something wrong with them. But yet they knew that there was something about Jesus that could fix it. Each and every one of us are lame in our own way. We know it. I don't need statistics for you to know you. Because you know. I know me. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening. This is verse four. 
They made an opening in the roof by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. They unroofed the roof to get their lame friend in front of Jesus. The future of the church is now. It's tomorrow. It's next week. It's a year from now. It's seven years. It's 10 years. But it starts with realizing that if we don't get in front of Jesus, it's not worth even talking about the future. And so would we do whatever it takes unroofing the roofs that we might find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, bringing all that is lame about us to him, that he may do something about it. Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, he said to the lame man, son, your sins are forgiven. Pastors, ministry leaders, we're so easily entangled in our sin. I don't know what you were preparing for tomorrow, but would we be prepared for tomorrow because we are allowing Jesus to forgive us today? Uh, uh, speaking of blue reflectors, there's um, um, a number of things that I am very passionate about to speak to. Um, the, the pastor, the ministry leader, and their families and their communities should look at a holistic approach to health. Knowing, again, that if we want to really focus in on the future of the church, that we must be healthy individuals first and foremost. And so that encompasses spiritual health, physical health, mental, emotional health, financial health, and relational health. That if these areas of health are unhealthy, we won't be here for the long term. And these areas all are tethered and play with one another. Spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, financial, and relational. And the most important one is spiritual health. Would we not take for granted that in our preparations for our studies and our sermons, it's not enough for our own spiritual health? I run to Psalm 51 when I think of my entanglement in sin. It says this, and maybe you've heard this too. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven continues, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of salvation. This is my life verse as a pastor, verse 13. Then, because you've forgiven me, because I've unroofed the roof to find me and myself at your feet, Jesus, bringing my sin, my transgressions, my failings, my lameness, because you've forgiven me. Verse 13 says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn their backs and come to you. The message remix, which is a paraphrased version, says, give me a job. This has been on my resume since I was 18. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways. That is our job description because of the work that Jesus has done to forgive us of our sins. He's now given us a job to teach other rebels and lame people his ways. 
It starts there. It starts there. Before I go back to Mark chapter two, I think of another way that we lean in as we think of the future is prayer. Do we pray? John Awanchekwa, John O, if you're familiar with him, a pastor, speaker, author. He wrote a little book on prayer. And I couldn't get past page 23. As a matter of fact, I still haven't gotten past page 23. If you read it digitally as I have here, it's actually page 16. But he says this. Prayer is oxygen for Christians. It sustains us. So it follows that prayer must be source of life for any community of Christians. It is to the church what it is to individuals breathing. And watch this. Yet, Many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. Do you know what happens when we hold our breath? It's not good. So, would we breathe today? Because they unroof the roof. And by they, I mean um, El Paso Baptist Association, Texas Baptist, whoever it is that invited you here, have given you an opportunity this morning to unroof the roof and find yourself at the feet of Jesus. To hear him say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Verse six says this. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking of themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, verse nine, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up your mat and walk. But I want you to know, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive him, forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And verse 12 says, he got up, he took up his mat and he walked out in full view of them. Which if you have the Bible in front of you, I often say this to my church members, highlight, circle, square, underline. And if you want to, gently rip that out and put that in your pocket. Because Jesus not only forgives him, but he tells him to get up and walk out of here. And the, the most significant thing is that he gets up and he walks out of there in full view of how many people? So many people that they couldn't even get in in the first place. But he gets up. No longer lame physically, but most importantly, no longer lame spiritually. In full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Imagine what the future of our households, community, neighborhoods, workplaces, churches would look like and be like if we walked in such a way in full view of all being touched by our savior healed redeemed and restored by our savior let me say it this way um um pastor mark where are you uh, it, a month ago or so uh, we were sitting at a hotel in Dallas and we've never really had a conversation before. So we're having a cup of coffee and um, uh, we're talking about uh, the Franklin Mountains and how uh, depending on where you are geographically and the where you grew up, um, you were indoctrinated one of two ways that the Franklin Mountains were the end of the Rockies or the beginning of the Rockies. I know it's a big debate. 
I grew up in El Paso. So it's the start of the Rockies, right? But what's even more so than that, that El Paso geographically has forever been significant because it is a thoroughfare, the pass, El Paso del Norte, right? That east and west and north and south, people come in and out. Most often when I am in San Antonio, people say, oh, I've only been through El Paso. Which we kind of joke and laugh about that, but how significant would it be if we walk around in full view of all? Those that are just passing through east and west and north and south, and they see the work of Jesus in each and every one of your lives. That it would change those individuals as they go east and west and north and south. That they would be astonished and amazed by the work Jesus is doing in and through each and every one of you, that they take that with them east and west and north and south. Friends, El Paso is significant to the future of the church. We would not be here if that weren't the case. I know at times it seems like everything east of here is what's most significant. As a matter of fact, those that live in the panhandle, they say that they live in West Texas. They are wrong. It's significant, this moment that we're standing in El Paso, Texas, knowing that what God is doing here will go east and west and north and south for the future. Would we be drawn in by that? Knowing that it starts with these things that we must See as important our spiritual, our physical, our mental, emotional, our financial, and our relational health. Speaking of spiritual, again, it's been talked about already, and I'll say it this way, that um, the world that we live in today is really good about catechizing young people, and so the church must re-engage to catechize in such a way that they draw young men and women back to Jesus. I'm reminded of Joshua 1. Joshua 1, 5 says this, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So here's the message, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the lands I swore their ancestors. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servants gave. My, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you and don't turn from it to the right or to the left and you will be successful. It starts there spiritually. Our spiritual health is guided by what God's word says by how God's word teaches and encourages us and how we utilize God's word as a tool to re-engage the people that come into our churches that are a part of our communities. All week long, we were talking earlier in a room that um, it is not enough to focus what we're gonna do tomorrow for 80 minutes, but rather that we would see the importance of the Monday through Saturday and that we would re-engage ourselves and one another for and through God's word. Let me move to an awkward conversation. It is important, or we must see the importance of our physical health. Now this is an awkward conversation. Um, because Texas Baptist is really good about getting us cupcakes. I have had the opportunity to be on the executive board for a number of years now. And uh, at the end of uh, a long day of meetings, uh, Texas Baptist brings pie and cake. I love pie and cake. 
As a matter of fact, I love food, good food. When we got done yesterday, last night, it's 10.30, did I go to my hotel room? No. Uncle Rick and I went to Chico's Tacos. And when I entered into the parking lot, I thought to myself, I'm only going to get a single. I'm only going to get a single, no fries, no soda. I had a double. I had fries. I had water. Since 2019, I've been extremely passionate talking about physical health. I'm not here to sell a diet. I'm not here to sell a gym membership. What I am here to say is that we must think about our physical bodies or we won't be here in the future. I learned in 2019 when I was diagnosed with cancer and thank God, uh, um, I I say it this way, um, early detection saved my life. Now that's not just a, a, a cliche saying, no, literally early detection saved my life because I found a tumor at just the right time that I was able to find a doctor that would then remove that tumor so that I wouldn't lose my life physically. Early detection in the need for physical health will save our lives physically. You know what it is. I don't. But would you take care of it today? For your husband, for your wife, for your kids, and for the ministry that God's called you to. Attend to it today. I guess the doctor's office isn't open today. Monday, promise me. And we all know what it is, don't we? I uh, came across um, a book that talked about this physical health because um, not only did early detection save my life, but I learned that um, cancer feeds only on glucose. Do you know what glucose is? Say it if you know what it is. I had a cupcake too. But did you know that if you watch your sugar and glucose intake, cancer will have nothing to feed on. And if it has nothing to feed on, it won't grow. So we must watch that. But I never knew that growing up. I drank Mountain Dew like crazy. I blame it on Mountain Dew and PepsiCo. If they're watching, we'll talk later. But I read this. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says this. Using a dull axe requires great strength. Before I get to the rest of the verse, if you and I have a dull axe, what do we do? We hit harder. Somebody was about to say sharpen it. We don't sharpen it. So let me read Ecclesiastes 10.10 in its entirety. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. Far too often when we think of our physical health, we think of the blade that was once sharp that we now have, that's dull. So what do we do? We hit harder and harder and harder and harder. And when it seems like we're not making any headway, we hit harder and harder and harder. We never think we should probably get a new blade or sharpen it. So when we think of our physical health, Ecclesiastes 10.10, and what I'm pleading to us is that today we would see the value, the wisdom in sharpening the blade. Stop hitting harder. It will wear you out. Hitting harder causes problems upon problems. Here's a quote. What are you in danger of missing out on if you don't get physically healthy? Yet, what are you at stake to gain if you do? Spiritual health is important. Physical health is important. And the truth is, is they work together. I'll give you one encouragement. 
later today, maybe tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, try implementing just a 20 minute walk. And on that 20 minute walk, pray. On that 20 minute walk, listen to worship music. On that 20 minute walk, memorize scripture the whole time. On that 20 minute walk, be in connection, take someone with you. Your wife, your husband, your children. Not only is that benefiting your physical health, but also your spiritual health. It's little things like that that'll change. It also affects our mental health, our mental and emotional health. I'm gonna read to you something that I wrote back in 2020. A year of reflection from my cancer diagnosis and the treatment and I wrote these words, December 22nd, 2020. I had a tough day. For two hours, my mind drifted to a dark place. I could not control my thoughts of what if. What if I die from cancer? What if I need chemotherapy? What if chemotherapy has significant effects that I die from chemotherapy? What will happen to my wife, Hannah? What will happen to my daughters, Ella and Olive? I'm so scared. I'm worried, I'm anxious. And on December 22nd, 2020, I could not stop crying for two hours. I couldn't even articulate to Hannah what was going on. Yet she was so perfect. Hannah held me tight and just listened. I've never in my life experienced something like this before. It was real and it was scary. It was a wild moment. Yet I'm grateful that it happened. I'm grateful because it was in that moment that I realized God was near. Hannah was near. Close friends came and were near. And my daughter, Olive, reminded me of a verse that we, what I thought, tried to impress on her and she never remembered. And yet Olive said this, Daddy, remember the command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the Lord is with you wherever you go, even if it's a dark place. We are no good in the future if we allow those dark places to overcome us and we do it alone. Mental and emotional health should be important for all. I wholeheartedly believe that mental and emotional health is so tethered to our spiritual and physical health. The things that we do spiritually will guide our dark places of mental and emotional health. What we do physically also, I'm not a doctor, so I can't speak to the chemicals that are released when we give effort physically, but it helps our mental health. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in 20 adults in the U.S. experience serious mental health each year. One in six U.S. youth, six to 17 years old, experience a mental health disorder every year. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people, 10 to 13. We know these statistics because we know the individuals that it's affected in our communities. Yet, Dr. Christina made an appeal to us yesterday that Texas Baptist has resources. Counselors that we can sit with face-to-face. Counselors that we can sit with through Zoom or phone conversations all across the state. We will be no good in the future if we don't address this issue. So lean on and in with those you know you can talk to, pastor, ministry leader.
what makes my job as a volunteer fire and police chaplain significant is that I get to sit across from men and women who are in the service knowing that a critical incident and what they see and experience can change the rest of their life. And at times, most that are in the service will question if they should even do it anymore. And some even question if they should take their own lives or not. And so sitting face to face after, and to be honest, no more than 24 hours after a critical incident is extremely important so that they don't bottle this up and see that they're alone. So who is it that you need to call when this conference is done with? As a matter of fact, if you need to leave now, leave now and make those phone calls because it's not good to keep it by yourself. For the future of the church, would we address our mental and emotional health? I read another book recently uh, by Sam Rayner. And he made this statement in the introduction of the book. I'm not good at finishing books because when I find something I like, I just kind of sit on it. I have a lot of books and I've only gotten through no more than 23 pages. But he says this in page six. If God can save any person, he can save the church. Did you hear the order? If God can save any person, he can save the church. It starts with us. What Jesus does for individuals, he then does for the church. The assembly becomes an assembly of saved individuals. Did you catch that? The assembly, the gathering, the church is a gathering of individuals who have been saved or at least those who are seeking to be set free from what's ailing them spiritually, physically, and mentally, emotionally. So this is extremely important. What we have heard for the past two days, and then I say it this way often, I just got to speak at Congresso and it was an incredible experience. Such a blessing for me. But on the last day of the event, I said, thank God it's the last day because you get out of here. You leave and you go home. I'll say the same today as this is wrapping up. This event, Future of the Church is wrapping up. I am so glad you're leaving now because it does us no good to just sit here together. Would we be energized to get out of here knowing that what Jesus has done to save and set us free from here is so energizing to get us out of here to share it with those who need to be saved as we gather together for his name's sake. Two more, and uh, let me speak. So uh, spiritual health, physical health, mental, emotional health, financial health. I am not an expert when it comes to financial health, but they're out there. And I'll say this, the number one thing that you and your spouse fight about is the same thing that me and Hannah fight about, finances, right? Especially in the world and the economy that we're living in today, especially the realization that there's probably more bivocational pastors just because we need the incomes that we need, right? I will absolutely tell you to go talk to Dr. Christina Talk to Dal Loftus before you get out of here. If there are issues within your finances that you need assistance from. But what I want to close with is the idea of relational health. These are these blue reflectors again, pointing us to the source of life, Jesus. So spiritually, we need to be healthy. Physically, mentally, emotionally, financial, and lastly, relationally. I have... Um, um, uh, the honor of uh, a few of our church members at the church in San Antonio um, that were former pastors, one of which I love having conversations with of just his experiences and, and the good, the bad, the ugly of church institutional life. And one of the things that he mentioned to me was, we made it very clear 
He's talking about he and his wife. In the churches that we were in, that we didn't want to be friends with the people in that church. What? We did not want to be friends with people in our congregation because that means they would really know who we are. And that's a scary place to be. That's a vulnerable statement that he made. And the truth is, as many of you feel the same. I can't be real friends. I mean, I could be cordial and know each other's names and we shake hands and we hug and fist bump, but I really don't want them to be a real friend. For the sake of the future of the church, we need friends within our communities of faith. And we need friends who are pastors so that we know that we're not alone. Would you do whatever it takes before you leave here today if you already don't know another pastor in a real relational way that you grab one before you get out of here and say, hey, I chose you, good luck. You get to them first before they come to you, right? We must see the importance for the sake of the future of the church that we have good relational health within our body that we've been called to and also in our city with the other pastors. Uh, Jonathan Smith said it this way, that we're not in competition with one another. No, we are co-laborers together. So we must be friends standing arm in arm, side by side, fighting for one another. We need good health when it comes to relationships. Ephesians chapter four says it this way. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and writing to us as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, hear these words as we begin to close. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I often say it this way. Would we leave here living life alive? Because you know what it's like when people are walking around just living, but they look like they're dead. But because of what Christ is doing in us and through us, we have the opportunity with such a sense of urgency to live life alive, worthy of the calling that he's given you. Verse two, Ephesians four says, be completely humble and gentle. Which if we're really honest, we can go back to Mark chapter two. We need to unroof the roof to find ourselves at the feet of Jesus to see that we must stay humble and gentle. It's said multiple times that it's his church, not ours. That he called us. Be completely humble and gentle. Jonathan said a bad word in this church building, so I'm gonna say a bad word. Be patient. His was a real bad word, mine not. Be patient. I know you have just been poured upon with awesome information and you're still trying to figure out what do I do with what has been given to me? Be patient. One of my favorite Psalms says, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my prayer and in the morning, I wait in expectation for you. Be patient. Make an appeal to him. Cry out to him. Call on him. And wait expecting him to give you insight, to make you move, to give you answers and direction and discernment. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Bearing with one another in love. I mean, you already called each other lame. Something about us is hard to bear with one another in love. And yet we must bear with one another in love. And Paul tells us why in verse three, make every effort to keep the unity. The unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for the unity of his church, of his future church. And here we are, united in him for his glory. And so bear with one another in love that we keep the unity through the spirit's bond of peace. And verse four and five says this, there is one body. Relational health is important because we're not siloed alone. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, our Father, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so would we see these reflectors day in and day out, knowing that the future is bright as we stay connected to the source? who is Jesus. As we remember, as I started with, there's nothing that'll separate us from the love of God that is found in him, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone. Can I pray for us? Father God, I thank you for my friends in the room. I thank you for El Paso, Texas. It's because of the people that you put in El Paso, Texas, that I am here. Not because of them, but because of your love and your forgiveness of sins and your calling that I'm here. And there are many others that will be here in the future by the work that you're doing in the men and women in this room. And so first and foremost, God, forgive us. Love on us. And would we do whatever it takes to sit humbly with you that will then in turn change the future for your name's sake and yours only. And so we thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen.